It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly Pope Free edition presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com. Digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Roaring. Each and every week we look at sports topics of local interest, which they're waning a little bit as the summer progresses. Uh, also some national topics, perhaps. We usually talk gambling. Uh, not much gambling related there either because uh, we're not in the prime season, although we might get into a little NBA talk. And, of course, the segment where you can ask me a question on any topic, go to Twitter, hit Rick up with the hashtag AskSkinnyAnything. Rick, how goes it? It's good. Speaking of gambling, I'm going to go ahead and assume that you did not have Rich Strike on your card last week. Did not. I had. Uh, I was closing to nine horses in a pick three, and the lowest price I was getting back was like three hundred dollars because I had it a few times. Uh, I had. I could have won as much as two thousand dollars, and so as they turned for home, the, the two horses on top were on my ticket, and they were the 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 third and or the second and fourth lowest price. But I'm still thinking, all right, I'm going to get paid here. This will be good. And I'm trying to figure what, you know, I'm trying to get the one that's going to pay a little bit more in front. And all of a sudden I see a horse come flying. Well, I had a couple of closers on the card. So I'm assuming, at least hoping that one of those is one of, one of my horses. And that was one of the $2,000 ones. And as it started to go by, I went, that looks like the 20, it is the 20. What in the world? Then of course, my smart ass family members say, well, how can you not, with your name being Richard, put a couple of dollars on a horse called Rich? Seriously, come on now. I, yeah. I that's not the way I play. I don't play like that. I'm sorry, I don't. I don't. <laughs> so yes, suffice it to say, I did not have that horse on the ticket. I, I mean, it's probably been touched on sufficiently everywhere else. I didn't have it as a main topic out here, but that's truly one of the more incredible races I've ever watched. It, it really is. Um, you know, I, I've seen pace scenarios fall apart where a horse clunks up and wins and it happened with mine that bird at 50 to one in the derby a few years ago it, it happens um you know uh it's inexplicable sometimes that that's what makes the derby sometimes so frustrating for for some is it's not the best horse that wins it's a horse that sometimes gets benefit of pace uh, gets a great trip you don't have any other fields in this country where you have 20 horses entered in a race the maximum a lot of times is 14 you know, most fields, if it's a big race day, it's, it's 12. And really on most any other race day, it's anywhere from from 6 to 10. So you don't have that kind of traffic problems that, that some run into. And so you occasionally have stuff like this that takes place. It, it's just a fascinating story, the whole thing of a $30,000 claimer. Uh, the, the, the horse was purchased for that price last year. The fact that uh, Sonny Leone was riding at Belterra Park on Friday, um, and then rides in the Derby the next day and has a life-changing score. I mean, it's it, 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 the, the horse then, try, you know, biting the outrider and the outrider trying to save the horse from running off because the horse was yeah. heat up. I, I thought that they were going to have to shoot the thing right there on the track after he won the Derby. I mean, it was unbelievable. Yeah, I, I did hear uh, it was it was a fascinating because the, there was a lot of people after they saw the video complaining that the outrider was too rough and, and the trainer actually uh, took, took to media the, the next day after some of the complaints came in and said, no, 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 he actually saved my horse. He said the problem was the horse – is, is really thinks he needs to run past everybody. So he saw this other horse, which was the outrider's horse coming at him and said, he goes, he goes, in my mind, the horse was thinking, Oh, this is another one I have to run by. And when the horse kind of stopped next to him and held him, that's what got him angered and upset. And he said, if he hadn't grabbed a hold of him, he'd have run off and who knows what would have happened at that point. So the, yeah, the horse, I think the horse could have gone around a second time. <laughs> well, it was uh, just truly 
one of a kind in terms of races that I've watched before. That was that was something else. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Rick, I, I told uh, before the Derby, I told uh, a couple of buddies uh, on the Bengals beat one of them, Paul Daner, because um, he was talking about it. He took his daughter to Keeneland a couple of Fridays ago, and uh, he asked me, he said, hey, can you give, send me some picks my way? So I did. And he said, hey, thanks. That one that one race uh, was, was a good pick. He said, my daughter picked the same thing. I said, tell me how she picked it. And he said, well, she had a dream that the green horse was going to win the first race we came to. So we bet on the, the, the green color. I said, yeah, you can do that. And, and good for her. I said, I had a premonition once. And I actually, this actually paid off. It was a derby in 1996. I had a dream of these numbers that came in. I think it was 635 or 632. I won, I won the trifecta for 600 bucks on this derby, literally based on this dream. I said, but Paul, my in my dream, the horses were on scooters. And so when he saw me the other day, he said, so did that horse come flying down the, down the stretch on a scooter? I said, it sure as hell looked like it. I mean, that's exactly what it looked like. The horse was on a different different plateau. Well, scooters or not, I wish I would have had a dream that Steph Curry and the Warriors were going to get beat by 50 last night, but <laughs> instead I ended up betting on them. So Yeah, that's, that's, that's no good. All right, let's get into it. The Reds ranked dead last in run differential at minus 72. They've been at the bottom of basically every offensive statistic for most of the season at this point. But over the last six games, they had a 4-2 and two homestand in which they scored 49 runs, and that included three games with nine or more runs. Skinny, do you think the improvement of the Reds' offense over the last week is a sign that this team might be turning the corner a little bit? Nope. <laughs> no. <laughs> do, do, do you remember a month that when Aristides Aquino had? Do you remember that one month when he hit the, whatever, 18 home runs, 17 home runs, whatever the hell? You remember that August. month? August. Yeah, I yeah. remember that. Yep. August of, of, of 2019. You remember that month? I remember it. Yeah, it, things happen in baseball. Over the course of 162, look, these guys are professionals and they're occasionally going to run into a hot streak. I, I don't. I, I do think it's good that Tyler Stevenson hit, hit the way he did, but I'm not counting on Colin Moran over the long haul or Brandon Drury over the long haul or TJ Friedel over the long haul. Um, you know, and then Tyler Naquin, Kyle Farmer, Tommy Pham are just guys in my opinion, and, and I think I know what I'm going to get out of them, which is nothing spectacular. It's just average baseball at best. So no, I, I don't think it's a sign of things to come. Um, I, I think it's kind of what baseball occasionally is. You just have a hot streak and uh, the great part of 162 is there is an evening out process, both good and bad. So as hot as this team is right now, you can be rest assured that the TJ Friedels who got three hits yesterday and the Colin Morans who were hitting home runs left and right of late uh, will cool off and, and probably settle into what they are exactly. Do you remember when, um, Oh, who was the guy? Derek, remember the Derek Dietrich start the one year? <laughs> yes. I mean, yeah. it, it, it just, it's one of those things that happens. So, yeah. no, to answer your question, it's a fair question to ask, but no. You loved Derek Dietrich's antics. Maybe that's what they need is a little more silliness back in their locker room. Just yeah, boy. Coming out f- and fighting the bees. What a fun team that was. What they're, Look how f- they're, they're winning because they're having fun. They're just yeah. a fun, loose group. Aren't they fun? No, they, they sucked. The one guy you did not mention uh, when you were bringing up the different names that has intrigued me recently is Mike Moustakis. Yeah, he's, he's hit better. You're right. Yeah, he's 14 for 40 over the last 12 games since he came back off the injured list. He's hitting 350. Not that he's enough to change this team around and make it a good team, but if he at least plays to the back of the baseball card and turns into the guy that you thought you were getting two years ago when you brought him in, that at least does give you a normal 
legitimate major league type of bat in the middle of your lineup, which you otherwise don't have. Yeah, and, and listen, um, they're doing this without Jonathan India. They're doing this without Joey Votto, although I tend to wonder if we're going to ever see the Joey Votto that we have seen in the past. Speaking of which, what is going on there, man? Do you mean with his social media presence, or do you mean with his uh, injury situation? Well, whatever whatever his situation is. I mean, this has been a long time with COVID symptoms, is it not? It would certainly seem that way. That seems very all-inclusive to me. I, I, I feel like Joey's getting ready to tell us some things. Uh, his social media situation this year has been very weird to me. I haven't seen it lately. What What, what, what is the latest that, that would make you say, I, I'm not doubting what you're saying, just say, what, what makes you say that? Nothing the latest, just in general. Yeah. The whole, he's never been on social media before, the way he's been, been acting, the way he's been talking about, I wanted everyone to get to know the real me, and the real me hasn't been portrayed and stuff like that. I, I don't know, something, it just feels like it's the beginning of the end for Joey Votto. Yeah, it's weird. There's no question it's weird. So, yeah, I, to answer your initial question, I don't. Um, I, I do think this. I mean, getting Luis Castillo back helps. Um, if you can get Mike Miner back, that will help. But, I mean, this is still, in my opinion, it's still a 100-loss team. Yeah, I mean, you know the other thing that helped them during this homestand was they played three games against the Pirates. Yeah, and, and listen, and, and sometimes I, I, there is contagious both ways, right? I do think when this team was losing the way it was losing, I truly think it slipped into the as soon as something went wrong, here we go again mode. And the Pirate Series at least helped them take a breath, get a win, understand what winning felt like, and then kind of get back to a little level of normalcy. Um, but I, I think, again, it just shows me that, that, that over the course of a 26-week um, season and, and over 162 games – you're going to have some really good stretches where you can't explain it, but you're still going to even out to what you are. And to me, this is still a hundred loss baseball team. Yeah, they also, I mean, they did play a really difficult schedule to start yeah, this no, season. Right, that's so, right. I mean, you're right. Maybe they're not as horrifically bad as they looked for the first month of the season, but I'm also with you. I don't think this little uh, uptick, the four and two stretch that they just went on really signifies anything positive going forward. Uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you about was Hunter Green had the best start of his young MLB career on Tuesday in a 5-4 to loss to the Brewers. He gave up two runs in five and a third innings with four hits, four walks, and six strikeouts. In six starts now, Green is 1-5 with a 7.62 ERA. His last two outings prior to this one were particularly poor. Where are you at on Hunter Green right now? How worried should fans be? And was Tuesday's start a good sign? Yeah, I'm still, I've been in the Oak the whole time. I don't think he's a starting pitcher. That's that's my opinion. But I, I do think the nice thing was um, he shook off that start in, in Milwaukee where he gave up the five home runs and came back and looked like he learned some things. Looked like he, he, he pitched a little backwards at times. Used his slider more. Was more effective with his slider. And, and I think... The one thing I would tell you is once you've committed to this with Hunter Green, unless it's just a stretch of 10, 11, 12 bad starts, you keep running him out there every fifth day. Let him keep learning from mistakes, and, and hopefully that he develops into the pitcher you're hoping. I mean, the arm is still electric. I mean, even the day Ricky gave up the five home runs, what did he go, two and two-thirds? or two? I think it was two and two-thirds. I think he got eight outs, and seven of the eight outs were by strikeouts. So he's still having people swing and miss or you know, at, at his stuff. Um so yeah, I, I think for me, I'm 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 not all in on him, and I haven't been because he just still I, he feels like more of a thrower than a pitcher. But um, I, I always hearken back to John Smoltz. The Braves after they traded for him, they traded Doyle Alexander to the Tigers to get John Smoltz, and no one really knew what a John Smoltz was, and 
They let him and Glavin and those guys just get their brains beat in for a bit and let them learn on the job when they weren't very good. And lo and behold, they helped anchor one of the great rotations in the history of baseball after they traded for Greg Maddox. And um, so I, I think for Hunter Green, I think keep throwing him out there. And, and listen, I, I think it's really encouraging that he came back from the five home run performance and pitched the way he did the other day and, and kind of looked like he learned some things from that, that five home run performance. I think that's encouraging. Yeah, I think so too. You know, Kyle Body, the guy who was in charge of the Reds minor league pitching for a couple years, and yes. kind of was brought in by Trevor Bauer. He's he's his like pitching guru and really into all the analytics and that type of stuff. And it seemed like when the Reds got rid of him about a year ago, one it, Bauer was gone, so I think that was a big part of it. But two, it seemed like there was definitely some division between what the major league organization wanted and what Body wanted to do with pitching philosophies and things that they were doing at the lower levels. And he's sent out some tweets about Hunter Green this year, and he's no longer employed by the Reds, and talked a little bit about the differences of opinion and how they were going to handle Hunter Green. And he said that he was always big on the slider should be Green's go-to pitch, and he should use his fastball much less. And the Reds disagreed with him on that. Well, you did see that flip in Green's last start. Yeah. He threw his... Slider like 47 times, his fastball like 45 times. So it was fairly even, but he did lean much heavier on the slider than he had in his previous starts. And it certainly looked better for him. Uh, but some of the other things that Body was saying was that people that think Hunter Green isn't ready yet are are flat out wrong. Like he's not going to get any better blowing away double A, triple A hitters anymore. They, they can't hit him, clearly. His stuff is just too good for guys at that level. The rest of his progress has to be made in the majors. So at this point for Hunter Green, and it may be a process like you laid out, it may take some time, but he has to either sink and sink or swim at this level. It, it's not going to do him any good to go down and strike out 15 AAA hitters a game. Yeah, that's a fair point, although he didn't get a lot of time in AAA, although there's not a, you know, usually the, the, the huge jump is obviously AA to, you know, people can make the jump from AA to the majors, and, and usually AAA it feels like any more isn't as much of a seasoning ground as it is a spot for guys coming back down Great and guys you're trying to keep as your 29th, 30th, 31st players on your roster. I still not so sure I agree with that completely because he didn't get a lot of time in AAA. But like I said, once you fully committed to this, um, I think you, you, you do have to let him learn on the job. And I think that's, there's some probably truth to that of, uh, and I think Jeff Brantley and Chris Welsh brought this up on broadcasts of, you know, when you, when you have that electric of an arm and you are that dominant of guys when you're in a pinch, you can just reach back and blow one by guys. Yeah, well, yeah. the big league level, you can't always reach back and blow blow one by guys. Yeah, occasionally you can. Um, but, you know, as you saw in the Milwaukee game, it felt like, uh, not this game, the game before the five home run game, it felt like with every home run he gave up, it was almost like, no, I'm just going to throw it harder and I'm going to throw it by you. And it was like, no, I'm just going to hit it farther and I'm going to hit it farther. And so, like I said, I the, the encouraging part to me, is that he did learn from that last start, and he did bounce back from that last start. And that's, I think, what you need to see from him is kind of this learning process. And, and maybe Kyle Body's right that the on-the-job training should come exclusively at the big league level. I'm, I'm not completely in agreement with him on that because well, he, he, didn't, he didn't really blow hitters away at AAA. In fact, I think his first start at AAA, he gave up three home runs in an inning, if I'm not mistaken. But okay, I, I'm, I'm not against that part of it. And like I said, once you fully committed to it, then let's let him learn on the job because this season's going nowhere anyway. It's about getting some of these guys' feet wet. Yeah, but to that point, Skinny, like you just mentioned about at the lower level 
when you're facing lesser talented players with his type of stuff, it allows you to slip into some bad habits. Mm-hmm. You know, even if okay, yeah, you did give up a couple home runs, but what do you do? You're able to strike out those guys by blowing one by them in the next at bat, or you reach back, throw a little hard, something like that. Stuff that you can't get away with at the major league level. I think that's a big part of it for Hunter Green is he's got to figure out, okay, these guys can actually hit the fastball. And he, I mean, even in the major league level, you've talked about it. The game he only pitched two, two in uh, third inning or whatever it was, he had six or seven strikeouts. Yeah. So, I mean, seven eight outs for strikeouts. Yeah. Yeah. So he still has dominant stuff, even at this level. I mean, it's clear that he would strike AAA hitters out overwhelmingly. And I don't know if that's a good thing for his development. I think he needs to be around guys that he can't just blow fastballs by because yeah, again, it's bad, I, I, for his, bad for him. Yeah, maybe you would have let him refine the slider a little bit more and use it more in the minors and tell him to use it more. But, you know, maybe it is at the major league level. This is the on-the-job training you have to get of, son, you're going to you're gonna have to trust the slider and you're going to have to throw it for strikes and it's going to have to be your go-to pitch. Um, and, yes, you can occasionally reach back on a 1-2 count and throw one up in the zone and guys are going to chase 101 miles an hour. But it, it just can't be um, it can't be your prevalent pitch and and again maybe that's that's correct the only way he's going to learn that is the big league level let him give up five home runs and then go see we told you now let's go back to what we talked about before and again the the, the encouraging part um, is is what he did in this most recent start now let's see if he can then build on this the next time out and, and throw the slider for sure because hey listen there's times for these young guys too when they have a good game with that that secondary or third pitch. And um, then they fall in love with it, or they don't have command of it in the next start. And then you got to rely back on the fastball again. So hopefully he can build on this with having command in the next start, and then the next start, and then suddenly you're looking and going, this guy's unhittable because now they're sitting for the slider, and because they're sitting for the slider, here comes 101 miles an hour, and they won't catch up to it at that point. So yeah, I, the last start was encouraging to watch him bounce back, no question. Yeah, and I, I've said all along, I think that slider that touches around 90 miles an hour or better at times that's the pitch. I mean, that's what makes him unhittable at this level. Yeah. It's not the 101 fastball. And uh, I, I think you're right. You use the 101 fastball as an out pitch that they're not ready for occasionally. And it's much more effective than throwing it to them constantly. All right. The Reds have been advertising 3-2-1 Tuesdays to try and get some people out to the ballpark, Skinny. The deal gives fans $3 beers, $2 hot dogs, and $1 ice cream cups on games that land on Tuesdays. And in a turn of events that's way too on brand for this organization, wouldn't you know they ran out of beers and hot dogs for the promotion by the fourth inning this past Tuesday, the first night that they tried this promotion. Uh, Skitty, this is really taking the where you're going to go mantra to a new level, isn't it? Well, here's the thing, Rick. I mean, who, who would have expected 32,000 people to show up that night, right? Oh, wait. There were 320. That is almost impossible to think that you could have miscalculated that badly, right? It is, except for it being this franchise. I mean, this yeah. organization is just... It's a cluster. It's so bad. It really is. It's you, a, you, you cannot let this happen, given every... And I, I understand these things aren't connected, necessarily. But you cannot have Phil Castellini say the things he said at your opening game then have the situation you've had in terms of wins and losses and no one showing up to the games. So you start a promotion like this to get someone to show up and you put nothing behind it. You just don't care at all. You don't plan well enough for it. You don't put enough funds behind it. You just really insult your fans once again. No, Rick, but you know, you always got the Kroger meal deal to fall back on where you can get your awful, uh, 
awful watered down pop and your and your cheap hot dog and your box of, of of Twizzlers all for the low low price of whatever seven ninety nine or nine ninety nine. You always got that to fall back on. What a deal! I it it, it I thought that was fake when I was told that that happened, and I thought that can't be true. Yeah, well, it's true. I would have thought it was fake if it didn't come from the one of the most upstanding journalists I know, Mo Egger. Of course. <laughs> when I saw his tweet, I knew it was real. He was there that night, correct? I believe so. Yeah, I, that's. I think that's what his tweet said. But then he, he I guess Mo talked him into giving away the sixteen dollar, sixteen ounce beers for three dollars. Well, so, at that point, at that point, they should. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to. But it's still just incredibly embarrassing to have this situation pop up when you're a team in the Reds situation. No question. No, I. It it, it, it is on brand, is what it is. It's so on brand. It really is. Where you gonna go? Where you gonna go? All right, we're recording this show on Thursday morning, just hours before we'll learn the complete NFL schedules for the upcoming season. There have been plenty of predictions and unverified leaks, and to no one's surprise, many are projecting the Bengals to have multiple primetime games this year. Skinny, given the Bengals' history in primetime games, should that concern Bengals fans at all? No, because that history doesn't involve one Jay Burrow. I mean, seriously. Any, I, I really think we, it's as simple as that. I, I do. I, I'm, I'm really a believer of that. It, it does not involve one Joe Burrow. Now, granted, he's played, uh, what, a couple of Thursday night games so far. He lost his second game of his career on a Thursday night um, in uh, uh, in Cleveland, but it wasn't his fault. I mean, he, he scored 30 points that night and went, whatever, 36 of 61 in his second career start. And last I checked, he played four postseason games. Um, two of those you can argue in prime time. The Raider game was a night game, and obviously the Super Bowl starts at six o'clock at night, and that's it's a pretty prime viewing audience. Last I checked, so yes, um, the past history maybe you can certainly use that against them and 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 worry about that. But because there's a different guy at the helm playing quarterback, none of that worries me. Yeah. Well, one thing is that was a Marvin Lewis and Andy Dalton thing. Yes. Yes. For this franchise. Since Burroughs arrived, they're 2-1 and one in primetime games. If you want to count the playoffs, they're 5-2. and two. Right. Uh, during Zach Taylor's tenure, they're 2-2, two and two, or 5-3 and three if you want to count the playoffs. So, I mean, th- that really hasn't been a problem for this current era of Bengals players and coaches anyways. But I'm with it. To me, it's totally a quarterback situation. He was afternoon Andy for a reason. Yeah, right. I mean, I hate to say it. I oh, like right. Andy Dalton more than most people. I thought he did a really nice job while he was here. and He got the most out of his abilities. But he struggled, and he saw ghosts in the biggest games. He just did not rise to the occasion. It's one of my favorite ones of all time. It was uh, in 2014 when I was covering the Bengals for the Enquirer with Paul Daner Jr. They played a—that was actually a really good team. That was the team that uh, argued if Andy doesn't get hurt. Um, I guess it was 15. I'm sorry. No, it was 14. Um, it was still a really good team. It was a playoff team, and they went to New England and got got beat on a on a uh, on a Sunday night. And that's when I was asking Reggie Nelson. I said, Reggie, you know, another little primetime loss is, does it does it hurt a little bit more? And in the background, of course, Pac Man hears the question, goes, "Hell yeah, it do!" <laughs> and so, of course, I had to sign over to Pac Man to get his his quote on it. And so, yeah, I, I think that was a group of guys that, whatever reason just wilted in primetime. You know, the two players we've talked to the last, or we've talked to a couple more than that, but but two of the players we've talked to in the last couple of weeks during um, the first phase of OTAs, Mike Hilton and DJ Reader were asked specifically about the schedule coming out and about primetime games. 
and and Mike completely embraced the concept of primetime games. Um, and, and DJ said, you know, I don't pay attention to that stuff, but playing in primetime, he talked about, yeah, you it's, you want to be in, you want everybody to be watching you. So I I think this seems like a different group of guys that do completely embrace the concept of primetime, and and especially number nine. Well, and again, most of this is about the quarterback for right, sure, right. but you go back to. Zach Taylor and how he built this team in terms of getting his guys and getting the right locker room type fits and guys with experience on winning leaders teams and leaders and all that stuff. And again, I always say, I don't want to hear about that unless you're winning. Right. Like right. When, when you, when you're winning two games in a season, my man, four games in a season, I do not care if you have the best guys in your locker room. Don't tell me about it. But after what we saw last year, you have to give Zach some credit for bringing those types of guys in. And I think this is another situation where you talk about that previous Bengals regime, you know, 2014 through 2016. I think you had some guys that weren't probably the most mentally stable in that locker room, even if they were talented. No, you're right. And you kind of get into that, here we go again <clears throat> feeling with some of those guys and Andy and, and the way things went down. I don't think this group has that propensity. Yeah, no, I don't either. So I, I know... I know that 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 uh, that mantra has been talked about about you know boy they're gonna get in prime time and look at the past. I, I'm not looking at past history not with this group and, and yeah you know I, I was thinking about this last week when we were talking with Zach Taylor and, and that that was kind of the narrative that came up of of you know build, building his type of roster and that's when you look back at the 2019 team and you look at the guys who are no longer here and you go yeah he was in the weeding out process and it took a little bit to get him weeded out but you know now he does have his lot this is literally his locker room um uh, his and duke tobin's locker room and and so um yeah i i, I feel fine about this team playing in prime time as long as number nine's quarterback as long as it's not brandon allen in prime time i think i think you're good a lot of people are expecting that the Bengals will max out on primetime games getting five of them are there any games specifically? We know who they're going to play. We just don't know the exact dates and times of all of these. Are there any of those games specifically that you think got to be a primetime game here? Um, I think Buffalo has to be a primetime game. Doesn't it? Buffalo yeah, that, and the Chiefs. Buffalo and the Chiefs, yes. Those two have to be primetime games. I would think at least one of the Baltimore, you know, you're probably not going to have both, but, but one of the two Baltimore games, primetime right. Perhaps Cleveland and perhaps Tom Brady and the Bucks. I, I'm going to go against the grain of maxing out. I think they get four with the concept of of a, of a late season flex opportunity for for them. Well, here's the other one that I think has a really good chance: the New Orleans game against the Saints with those guys going home, Jamar Chase and Joe yeah, Burrow. I I don't. I think it's been leaked out that it's. And I'm not buying all the leaks yet. It's been leaked out that that's a possible Week Three uh, Sunday night game. I, I just don't know if the Saints have that kind of appeal. And they're, if it is, it's fine. I mean, I'm not going to cry over spill. But honestly, you give me Saturday night in New Orleans and a Sunday morning to sleep it off and then go cover a game, yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> Not fine bad with that. for your deal, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a win for me. Um, but I just don't know if I buy that being a primetime game. Um, it might not be. I just think that a lot of times they like those storylines yeah. and they can make so much content behind that with those guys going no, back I, home. No, yeah, no question. How many Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase jerseys do you think are going to be in the Superdome? <laughs> that that would be funny. The thing is, 60, though, they'll be worth, yeah, but they won't be Bengals Jamar Chase. Joe no, Burrow. they'll definitely be they'll LSU. Be LSU. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That, that stadium will be filled with purple and gold that night. Exactly. It'll be it'll be more LSU uh, LSU country than it will be Saints country. I agree. Although I guess they overlap. All right, let's go here to our final topic. Uh, a little bit off the beaten path, a national topic. 
Fox CEO Lachlan Murdoch announced on Tuesday that Tom Brady has agreed to a long-term deal with the network and will be Fox Sports' lead NFL analyst when he retires, whenever that'll be. The Post's Andrew Marchand reports Brady's deal is for $375 million over 10 years. Skinny, is Tom Brady worth that much money as a broadcaster? If they feel he is, I guess he is. I, I mean, to me, I, I don't honestly, I don't get that. I, I don't get the, the mega the mega, mega million dollars for, for these guys. I, it, literally no one is tuning in for the announcing crew. No one. That's the part I don't exactly understand. Do they really? Th- I mean, think about some of the terrible broadcasters that we've turned on and listened to regardless because we want to watch the live sporting event. Does it really matter that much who is broadcasting the games? Like, do, do they think they're going to lose a lot of viewership if the broadcasting team isn't desirable? No, or, or do they think they're going to gain the viewership? I'm trying to figure out what they think they're going to gain commercially with this. I mean, is this is this more than just a broadcasting contract? Is this for him to create content outside of that? It um, did say that he would be an ambassador for the NFL yeah. and Fox. But, I mean, you know. Aside from appearing on commercials and, I don't know, showing up to a few PR events, I'm not sure exactly what that would mean. Yeah, I these mega million dollar contracts, I simply, I, I honestly, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to begrudge them, hell, get what you can get, brother, but I just don't get it. I honestly do not get it. I don't get that either. Aside from just, is any broadcaster worth this money? I'm particularly interested about Tom Brady and why he should be the highest paid broadcaster. Okay, yeah, there's there's going to be intrigue when he retires because he's been the best ever, but he has been a guy that has gone out of his way throughout his career to say just about nothing. Yeah, and maybe that maybe that changes when he's out of the out of the arena. I mean, maybe. But if you've ever listened to his Monday night interviews uh on the radio with Jim Gray that that sponsored post I think for Barbasol that he does each and every week. It is about as dry, mundane, and boring as you can get. It's literally, it is literally turn it off, turn something else on, and know that kickoffs in about another six or seven minutes boring. Yeah, and and I, I do think he'll be more open, a little more charismatic after he gets done playing. He's kind of from that. Well, he's not kind of. He is very much from that Belichick Patriot mold of you know, don't give the media anything, don't give the opposing locker room anything, just be. QB1 and be the the poster child that everyone wants you to be and say all the right things. I've seen since he left the Patriots and now that he's towards the end of his career, there's some things on social media that he's posted where it's like, okay, he's starting to poke and prod people a little bit and troll a little bit. He's got a sense of humor to some extent at least. But to this point, he's really never given an interesting interview that I can recall or said anything that was kind of out there where you're like, oh, that was a a funny or an insightful take by Tom Brady there. I just, I don't really understand aside from the idea that you're getting the best ever, which is a draw for certain, but why would he be the highest paid broadcaster in the history of the sport? That doesn't make a ton of sense to me, right? Like I said, the only other thing I can think of is is there will be more content created around him, kind of like where Peyton Manning's taken his own production company to. Now you have you you have rights to Tom Brady productions, for oh, lack well, of a better term. Well, you know what? Actually, that brings up a really interesting point. With all of these organizations going to streaming in the future, likely, does his social media following have a lot to do with this? Maybe. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, because that's a real he can, possibility. 
convert some of those into streams. That is something interesting to think about going forward because there aren't other athletes with or broadcasters with his type of social media following. Yeah, no, that's a that's a, that's a valid point. Um, obviously, they crunch numbers enough to feel comfortable throwing a big number figure at him like that. Yeah, it's not my money. Well, I, right. I don't care at all about it, but it is interesting that they decided he was worth that. Yeah, no, I, I'm 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 confounded by it, but okay. All right, let's get into some Ask Skinny Anything. We've got a bunch of questions to get through here. We'll start with sports-related questions, and the first one from our guy Dan. Skinny, what is the biggest sports collapse you've seen, whether single game or over a period of time? Oh, you could go to the you could go to the '64 Phillies. That was the year after I was born, so I really didn't see that collapse. But they collapsed down the stretch. Go to the '69 Cubs. That was a collapse. I, I hate to do it. I hate to I hate to say it because it it, it wasn't just one team. It was the bloody Sunday of, of UC and Xavier. <laughs> that, that has to come to mind for local fans. Yeah, I mean, especially because it occurred in the same day. Yeah, for both teams to choke like that was pretty incredible. Yeah, I mean, it, it really and truly was. I mean, from the high of watching UC and going, okay, Xavier's going to follow this up, and wow, look at the locals keep marching to what the hell just happened to these two teams. I have two teams in mind at the professional level, back-to-back years. First would be 2016 Warriors coughing up the 3-1 lead to the Cavs. Yeah. With that Warriors team, which is, I mean, about as good of a team as we've ever seen. Yep. And the 2017 Falcons that had the Patriots down 28 to 3 in the third quarter of the Super Bowl. Yeah, that was that was that was a pretty uh, obviously epic comeback. Um you know, on the flip side, the, the Kentucky comeback against LSU in basketball the year where they were down 30-something in the second half, but that's a flip side. That's more that's comeback more than collapse. I mean, I guess you could argue LSU, well, LSU would day. be the collapse, yeah. Yeah, they, yeah, they'd be the collapse. But, I mean, because that was remarkable. Can you think, think of being down – they've literally been down basically a half of basketball. I mean, they, they, literally you've spotted them a half, and you come back and win. That, that's incredible to me. Um, you know, I don't think it was a collapse per se – but I guess it was the Bengals winning against the Steelers in the playoffs and then somehow losing, right? Where they get the interception and the game's over and Jeremy Hill fumbles and you, the, the complete meltdown of Vontez Perfect Adam Jones after that and suddenly Pittsburgh wins. That was kind of collapse-like too, yes? It was bad, yeah. I mean, that was a, a complete choke job at the end there. Um, more of a mental breakdown, I guess, than uh, right, right. you would normally as- assess with these situations, but... Yeah, I mean, uh, those are some good ones. The other one that was brought up on Twitter last night, Brian Snow brought up uh, the Reds and the Giants in the yeah. postseason that one year. Yeah, the, the where they uh, twenty eleven. The, the, yeah, the Grand Slam, the Buster Posey Grand Slam. Yeah, that's a good one. Yep. Skinny, another sports related question here. The Southern Muskie wants to know: Are you buying that Kentucky's quarterback Will Levis is the number one overall pick in next year's NFL draft, according to CBS's recently released mock draft? Yeah, I, in fact, I, I put that up, and, and not just he's in that mock draft. Um, uh, they had the Bengals taking a wide receiver who's actually in the transfer portal. He was at Pitt. He was going to go to Bama or USC, and I don't think he's decided yet. Uh, we had a couple of local guys in that draft as well. Michael Mayer from Covcath was a first-round selection. So was Paris Johnson of Princeton High School. You had a couple of Buckeyes on top of Paris Johnson. C.J. Stroud was in there as, I think, the third overall pick. Jackson Smith and Jingba. But uh, there was one a week before they had Will Levis number five overall. Ryan Wilson did the one that had Levis five overall. And then this past week, uh, Chris Trapasso had Will Levis number one overall. 
I'm not buying it. I, I, I think it's a lot of, he spins it. He's big and strong. Um, you know, did a lot of great things in that Kentucky offense last year. But you know who did a lot of great things in that Kentucky offense last year? Wandale Robinson. Helped, and he helped Will Levis is Wandale Robinson. Exactly. Yeah. And listen, Wandale Robinson obviously was a second-round draft pick. So, you know, despite him not being a big guy, teams think he is a playmaker who can turn, uh, who can make big plays. I think I think it's the, the whole classic when you start grading quarterbacks and looking at them, you are looking at things, you know, arm arm talent um you know played in kind of a pro style system last year which i think helps him a little bit where he did a lot of things good things off play action um but you know i didn't see him have to make a ton of tight window throws he does have a big arm um he's got I think he's a great i think he's got great leadership abilities um he kind of correlates a little bit to a poor man's josh allen for lack of a better word because he's got a lot of those similarities and listen josh allen was not refined whatsoever in college yeah, and I think that's going to be the question is, do we see some progress from him this year as an all-around quarterback? He definitely has the arm strength. Uh, there's just a lot of other loose ends that need to be tidied up there, I would say. Yeah, but obviously, I mean, you had two guys in back-to-back weeks. I mean, the, the, the number five overall shocked me, let alone then come back the next week with a number one overall. Yeah, I have no doubt that they are looking at him as a top prospect coming into the year. I don't know that I believe he'll end up as the top overall quarterback yeah. prospect yeah. in a top five pick. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. Interesting question, though. Yep. All right, next question. Could three 30-year-old pickup basketball players beat LeBron James three-on-one, Skinny? Three-on-one, yes. Yes, I think they could. For I sure. mean, For uh, sure. It, it, but here's the argument, though. I mean, you can say three 30-year-old pickup basketball players, but they have to have some modicum of talent. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm thinking of when I think that I think of like your guys that are playing. There were there were there were, there were okay high school players, right? And still that are playing, playing in town league. and country in the men's league still. Yeah. So they yes. may suck for grownups, but they are still active and playing, and you know are capable of making a shot, grabbing yes. a rebound. They cared enough to keep playing into their thirties. Uh, okay, two on one. Do you think most? Two on one would be dicey because LeBron can always rim protect. Now, if these guys can shoot threes, they could obviously space him out enough. Um, yeah, but here's the thing about that: LeBron's—you're not stopping LeBron two on one. No, I think he's, he's scoring on every possession. Pretty much so. I mean, I, I guess you could you could try to hem him in as much as possible, but he's just going to back you down if he needs to and just jump over you and score. LeBron um, really needs to get one stop. In a two-on-one game, I think. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, you you could trade his threes for, or your threes for his twos, but you'd have to make them in a pretty good clip. Yeah. And by the way, I don't know if you've seen LeBron LeBron James or really any NBA player at that level, but them in like a shoot-around rec league type situation, they don't miss many threes either. No, no, that's right. But but then you're kind of goading him into that, right? Of yeah, hopefully you know he'll you shoot threes. Every, yeah, you know you can score every time down here, but you're gonna occasionally miss from out there, and so we're gonna bank on that happening. That's what I would hope for in the three. The three-on-one, I think that happens more often. I think you can stack bodies in front of him a little bit, go to him into like, all right, I'll settle for some jumpers, and you hope he rims a couple out, and then you then you can really spread them out. You get either yep. a three or a layup on almost every possession that's open. Yeah. Two-on-one, I think you can cover enough ground that if you're not like pretty good players, I don't know that most most normal guys that are at like the wilder league on you know Tuesday nights or whatever they play it, I don't think most of those guys are winning two-on-one. Yeah, I just don't think they make enough shots. 
I mean, you, when I talk about you, you'd have to make threes at a pretty good clip if that's what. Because I do think, Rick, two on one, you could still spread him out enough. You, you could. Well, you could get open shots there, but I just go back to two on one, you're not stopping LeBron ever. He scores no, I, literally I, I, every possession. So, like, yeah. can he make you miss once or twice in a two on one game? Yeah, oh, I think sure. he will. For sure, yeah. I mean, think about how much ground he can cover at 6'8 with his athleticism. It just, you're, I'm telling you, I'm like, go, go watch, go type in YouTube, Brian Scalabrini versus like average dudes. Cause a bunch of guys always used to talk about how much Brian Scalabrini sucked online. And then he called him out and was like, all right, let's play one-on-one. He'd show up to like, uh, just, you know, your LA fitness or whatever. And he'd play guys one-on-one and just destroy them. Like it's right. insane how good NBA players are compared to normal humans. Brian Scalabrini gave one of the great, honest answers in NCAA tournament history because I was covering. Uh, they were work. Actually, they played Kentucky the year that that USC actually had a pretty good team, and they ended up beating Kentucky in the Sweet Sixteen and got to the Elite Eight that year. But they were um, in New York together, if I'm not mistaken, that year. Um, prior, they were they before they matched up. I think anyway. So I was sitting in just listening to a press conference, and they asked the the players at the podium, you know what. What's 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 the greatest part about this this run you're on? I think this this was this was a win that got them to the Sweet Sixteen. So this was after the second round. And Scalabrini goes, greatest thing is we get to miss another week of school. And I'm like, good for you, man. I don't need to hear any more questions for the student athletes. This cat gets it. We Didn't get to have another to week school. without school. Yep. Yep. All right. Uh, based on two of the things he hates the most: bad officiating and bad drivers. Would Skinny rather have officials get every call right in the games he coaches or have zero traffic on the road while he drives for the rest of his life? Man. Easy answer here. I, I want the zero I want the zero traffic. Yes. I, I can I, I can handle officials. I can deal with them. I'm, I'm and I'm okay when they occasionally make a call. They miss a call. Yeah, I'm but by, by far no drivers. It's not even close. Part yeah. of the fun of coaching is yelling at refs. Yeah, correct. Yeah. It's the give and take. Yeah. yeah. You, you can't have them get every call right. That wouldn't be any fun. You wouldn't have anything to yell at them about. And the zero traffic on the road is just I mean, there are very few things that I would want more than that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, yeah, that, that, that's a pretty easy answer for me, too. Yeah. Top three domestic beers and top three craft beers. Not a craft beer guy. I'm just, I'm just not. Um, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a complete Budweiser, Bud Light guy. Um, I was in a golf outing last week where, um, the only thing they had on the course was Miller Light and Coors Light. And I had to swallow really hard and drink a couple, couple of Coors Lights. And the good part is once you drink a few Coors Lights, the sixth or seventh, you can just get through it, right? Yeah, just carbonated water at that point. <laughs> Correct. Um, but I'm a Bud Bud Light guy. I I, I don't call this a craft beer, but I, I mean, I, I think Heineken's domestic in my opinion. So I'm going to go with Heineken. I mean, my go-to beer is I'm, I'm a Heineken guy. I'm a Heineken and, and a fat tire guy are my two go-to beers. All right, well, fat tires are craft beer. Are they? I would think. Okay. All right, if they are, I'll, I'll put that in there. I'm just not a big craft beer guy. No, you're not. Uh when I've been in California, I like Pacifico. I don't consider that craft beer, but it's hard to find around here. I'll go. I'll tell you what. I I guess this is a craft beer. I, I like Bells and, and, and Sweetwater. All right. There you go. Yeah, those are two craft yeah. beers. Yeah. Uh, I'm on the opposite side, but I will say, like, people get real into their uh, territory on Bud Light, Miller Light. I, I don't really care that well, much i mean i well, prefer well, miller light but i don't it's well here's Bud light just as he, well here's here's a great one so a, a good friend of mine he's no longer in the beer business tom puma i'll, I'll call him out because he's a great guy he used to be uh, a, a a rep for uh for pabst in pabst old style etc and he was a he, he was a client of ours at uh, in the radio business and so he would always go on our client trip to chicago 
and uh, we've remained friends to this day, play golf a few times a year. And so we were in a bar in Chicago, kind of half lit, and he knew the, 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 the owner. And so we were sitting at the bar just talking, having a beer. And he goes, he goes, ah, Skinny, I'll get you another Paps. And he was buying. I said, I said, Tom, listen, I love you, man. I said, I've had enough old style and Paps for one day. He goes, oh, you can't taste the difference. I said, well, I'll tell you what. So I put a 20 on the bar. I said, put a 20 down. I said, you get me a Bud Light. I said, get me a Miller Light. Get me a Pabst and get me an old style. You can blindfold me. I'll taste test them and I'll nail them. He goes, you won't be able to nail them. Dude, it was so easy. It was like yeah. shooting fish in a barrel. I could oh, taste yeah. the difference in all four of them. I can definitely taste the difference. Don't don't get it twisted. I think they definitely taste different, but I don't like any of them that much to where I'm like, oh, I've got to have Miller Lite. It would be my favorite, but like if it's Bud Light at the place I'm at, that's fine too. It's very little difference between those two to me. But if you're asking my three favorite, I would go similar to you on the Bud side. I would go Miller Lite and then Miller High Life, the champagne of beers, as uh, my top two. And then I would say PBR as my three domestics. And then craft beers, I would go Braxton Summer Trip, Dogfish Head Sequench Ale, and Rheingeist Press Tart. I'm in the Look at you, man. You, you, you rattle them off nicely. I'm very specific about what I like beer-wise. I'm not a huge beer drinker, but I stick to what I like. So, so at your wedding, you had, you had some craft beer there, correct? Yeah, Summer Trips, which, you know, we told them. I was like, hey, this is the beer Lindsay and I will be drinking. That's what we want. Um, and they didn't order a lot of it. And I was like, oh, it's going to be a mistake because people will like this beer. And sure enough... Within like 10 minutes of the cocktail hour, they were like, no one else can have summer trip. We've got to save it for Rick and Lindsay now because we didn't get enough of it. I was like, yeah. I, 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 see, I went with a couple of Bud Lights in the cocktail hour, and then I was wine the rest of the night. Yeah. it was The, the bar situation was good. We it was had, great. Uh, yeah. It was great. Yes. All right. Have you heard Skyline now serves chicken tenders? Did you know that, Skinny? I did not know that. I, I didn't know that either. That's weird to me. Um, this guy says, what are your thoughts on an order of chicken tenders topped with onion, chili, and extreme cheese? No, no. If I'm doing a chicken tender, man, it's a chicken tender and a dipping sauce. Yeah. I mean, I look, I wouldn't be against this. I would certainly try it. And I love the extreme cheese. I love all of the ingredients here. I just think we probably already figured out the best things to put chili and cheese on. And that's mostly that's potatoes news. like fries. Oh or yeah. Or, 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 or those or those crazy noodles that they put it on. Yep. So, uh, best outdoor patios to drink at or eat in the city? Hmm. I'll say it right now. Braxton's Rooftop, to me, is by far. I haven't been. Yeah, I've not been to that. Um, yeah, I, 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 nothing comes to, to mind, really. Uh, I'm not a... Yeah, nothing comes to mind for me. Well, being Northern Kentucky guys, you got to shout out Barleycorn's Patio. It's pretty. Yeah, cool. Barleycorn's Patio on Dixie Highway. I, I I do love that. I mean, if you can get me a, a Friday night there for for a while with with friends and, and family and have a dinner and a long cocktail hour or two, um, I'm with you. If you get yourself a nice night, that is pretty good. I'm 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 kind of with you on that one. I when, when my my guy Shaky owned Shaky's Pub and Grub, I used to like sitting out back there because he'd have live music playing. That was a pretty nice place. But I he doesn't own it anymore, so I don't go. Yeah. Uh, those would be my two. I would say Braxton if I'm drinking and barley corns if I'm eating. Um, we we do this as a as a as a group. Um, after home preseason games, although last year there was only one home preseason game, um, but as a group of riders and some some Bengals media relations folks, we'll go to uh to Goodfellas in Covington and sit out back there after the game and and, and have a few cocktails. And that's usually, it's usually a nice time of year. It's August ish where it's 
it starts to cool down when the sun goes down a little bit. And so it's, it's not too cold, obviously, and it's not too hot. It's just about perfect. So I, I like Goodfellas. It's, it's good. Goodfellas is fantastic. Food-wise. Food-wise is great, yes. Yeah. Uh, Skinny, rank these guys. <laughs> well, actually guy. Stands in public doorway guy. Bare feet on airplane guy. Drive slow and fast lane guy. And doesn't wash hands in public bathroom guy. All right, I'm, I'm going to definitively go drive, drive slow and fast lane guy being the worst of the worst. That's the worst of the worst. Right above him is is shoes off on airplane guy. Yeah, to me, that's the worst of the worst. Yeah, nah, driving slow in the fast lane guy because they're oblivious. They don't understand why you're – it's usually a kid. They, they don't understand why you're mad when you go by them and kind of honk your horn and shake your fist. They kind of look at you like – Wait, I'm going the speed limit, man. What's your problem? No, no, son. You, you, you. That's the passing lane. You're going to learn this over time, and then you're going to be like me and go, oh, I remember when I was that guy. Because we were all that guy at one point when we didn't understand it. Um, so, yeah, but it's still the worst of the worst. Um, so what do we got left? We got – so so I don't get – what is standing in public doorway guy? Give me an example of standing in public See, doorway. See, this actually agitates me, but, like, you know the guy who's uh, – well, like Keeneland would be a good example of a spot where it gets pretty tight and you got some, some oh, situations yeah. where you're walking through multiple like rooms or whatever. I'm, this would be the guy who's like maybe on his phone and he stops two feet after the door and crowds up where everyone else like bottlenecks all the traffic flow because he's doesn't know what he's doing. He's looking for a menu or he's trying to text somebody back or what have you. I, this happens a lot, and usually it's someone on their cell phone or fill around with tickets or something. Yeah, no, no. I, I, it's funny you say that because I was walking out of doing a broadcast the other day, and I had to hustle to another event. And I was walking behind these two women, and you you, you, you could go around them, but you had to pick your spot, right? It was kind yeah. of a tight walkway. I did that at Kroger the other day. Okay, the, <laughs> the worst part of these oblivious people aren't just they're carrying on the mindless conversation with their with their chairs and they're walking slowly it's that when you pick the lane to start to go left they somehow weave that way yep. and then you kind of get up behind and you try to weave and then they weave back to the right and finally you get to the point of excuse me and then they give you like the rude look left that's rude no move your ass sister <laughs> i i did this at kroger the other day it was coming out and the thing was it was even tougher because they weren't doing anything wrong they were just an old couple so they're just moving so slow. Sure. And I'm we're doing that thing where you know you get through the first sliding doors, and then there's, there's that area where it's like you, you go get your cart. It's like yep. the yeah. So I, I'm like I, I got to get around them. I can't wait till we get out on the because I'm just being impatient. I can't wait till we get outside another twenty steps or whatever. And I'm like ah, oh, this is tight. So I'm like I'm gonna try to go around them and not make it obvious that like I'm give them the blow by and. I just cut it too close. And then when we both got to that, that next door, I really had to kind of cut them off. And then I looked like a jerk and it was like, ah, yeah, you know, I felt I, bad I, about it, but I don't mind you going, I don't, but you know, have at least self-awareness that there's probably somebody behind you or, or you can at least hopefully hear the footsteps at that point. And you can look back and go, Oh, excuse me. Yeah. Do you want to go through, go through? No, these people are oblivious half the time. So I'm going to put them in the, this isn't, I guess I'm going to lump them into doorway guy. They're the worst. Yep. Just move your ass. And again, the worst part is when you see the opening, it's almost like there's karma there that they start to weave in that direction. 100%. That's exactly how it happens. They know. they It's like a GPS magnet that they just know exactly where you're going, and they just they they beat you to the spot like a good defender. All right, I'm going to put that, that, that person at the top of the list. So I've got washed, doesn't wash hands in public restroom guy, and who else? 
there's well actually guy also. Well actually, well well actually guy's that's pretty funny. I'll put him up to the next. He's the second worst guy. That's the second worst guy. Yeah. Wash hands in pub doesn't wash hands in public restroom guy. Doesn't overly bother me if 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 I know that it's like it's I'm not going to be around that person or um, you're you're walking out of the facility that he just takes a quick leak before he leaves and he's going to get into his own car and go. You don't bother me at that point. I'll be honest. I really don't care if guys wash their hands or not after they pee. Like I'll eat out of the same peanut boxes. I, I, I believe my seventh grade science teacher told me that 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 urine is is, is sterile and you can use it to wash your hands with. Well, actually. well, and guys aren't peeing on their hands and like Correct. most of the time they're probably not even really touching themselves a whole lot when they're just taking a pee. I that does not bother me, but I'll tell you what. Uh, Joe, Joe Daneman, credit to him, brought this up one time on one of his uh, one thing at one a.m. tweets. He brought up the guys who, just because they feel like they have to, they go to, to the sink in a public bathroom and they just do the flip the water on and dunk their hands in for one second and then leave. Like, what is that? I, that does bother me. It's like, why are you doing that? I will say, wash your hands, step up and wash your hands. But it, like, you don't have to do it for PR reasons in here. No, you're right. That's that's a. I've seen that guy. I will say during COVID, I very much washed my hands in the restroom. I I, I I took great care of doing that and then making sure after I washed them thoroughly that I did use sanitizer. So agreed. But, but to call, me, that's call, not even. Call, a, me, call me call me paranoid guy at that point. But yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you. I, I I've seen flip the water on for PR reasons, guy. Yeah, but that's not even to me the the you know washing your hands you're in the bathroom to me it's not even a because i was in the bathroom thing it's like i'm not washing my hands throughout the day enough this is a good opportunity to do so and we yeah, should no, be right. doing it with covid going around right, so right. you know i kind of look at it as a good opportunity but either way say, it doesn't bother me if someone else doesn't i will say and i'm probably paranoid i'm still in the habit i've got a thing of sanitizer always in my cup holder in the car no matter what if i come out of a kroger for two seconds or even stop and get money from the atm i'm using that hand sanitizer hey, regularly that's a good habit to be in i don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that uh, so I've got doesn't wash hands in public bathroom guy is the most tolerable. I would actually say drives slow and fast lane guy is actually my second easiest to tolerate for me. Um, then stands in public doorway guy. Then well actually guy. I'm dealing with one of those in my personal life that I can't escape now. Newly acquired. And it's difficult at times. But to me, bare feet on the airplane is the worst. I can't stand that. Yeah, that, 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 that that's that's fairly rude. Skinny, what advice would you have for those who have lost their life savings on NFTs and crypto over the past few weeks? Yeah. Shame on you, stupid. <laughs> How's I the mean, gold standard working out for you? You still got cash? I still got cash. Okay, I was just checking. Yeah, I I, I honestly don't take glee in that. I, I, I've, 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 I've read a couple stories the last couple of days where, is it crypto coin? Is that a, one Bit, of the companies? Bitcoin? No, no, I know Bitcoin. Oh, crypto, I think coin? crypto coin, I think, is a company that invests in it. I think it's a it's it's not the product, it's a company of which it's possibly going to go bankrupt. And I'm thinking, man, again, I go back to no one ever could could tell you tangibly what is this going to do? Who's what's backing this? What are you gonna do with it? I hope you're not looking at for answers. I hope those are rhetorical questions. I'm, no, I'm looking for answers. <laughs> okay, I got, I got nothing for you. You know, how are, how, yeah. W w I never understood the non fungible token. I, I, you know what I understand? A greenback in my hand. I understand that. <laughs> and I'm not telling you I'm right. But that's where we're at right now. I mean, you're look you're looking good right now. I'll say that. What? What? By the way, what is Bitcoin down to now? 
uh, I think like twenty eight thousand or something like that. What was it at? What was it at its tops? Sixty four, I want to say something wow. like that. Wow. Yeah, not good. And finally, we'll wrap it up with this one, Skinny. What NIL endorsement deals would have best described you as a college student? Um, <laughs> the Mister Gaddy's across the street. Uh, they, they, they across the street from my apartment because we would go there for all you can eat Monday, and you can imagine as a college student what an all you can eat Monday would entail. Um, so I would have to have some kind of deal with Mr. Gaddy's. Um, honestly, the liquor store across the street too was was a pretty pretty good place. Now, see, back then I would have liked to have one. There's also there was uh, I think it was was it Fayette Mall or Lexington Mall off Richmond Road, right across from my apartment. I would have I would have wanted a Daw Hairs account at that point because that's where I got all my clothes and and that's when you were trying to at least have some level of style, I guess. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I would have liked to have had, had something with doll hairs and then something with a car dealer for sure. I mean, look, as a college kid, I was driving around a Chevette for God's sakes. I would I would have wanted a car dealership NIL. So yeah, I would have gone with all those things. I'm I'm gonna say you might be overselling your talent a little bit, thinking people are gonna be handing you cars, but uh I'm noting you, but he's but he's asking. <laughs> he is asking. He's, he's asking. asking. <laughs> I'm just saying here's what those are the deals I would have liked. Yeah. No, yeah, I for, for for me, I yeah, I, I mean I, I mean you're, you're, we're all college nobodies for the most part, so we're not getting these deals. But if you're asking what I would have wanted, those were the ones I would have said, give me those. Yeah, I'm giving you a hard time. I, I would have done this. I mean, it's pretty obvious. I think everyone. Well, you know what else? I, I would have liked. I would have liked a marker at Keeneland. Oh yeah, that would have been a good one. Obviously, they can't do that because of gambling reasons. But that would be an. Well, awesome... that's legal. That's legal gambling, though. Yeah, but they they like with the NIL, you can't do booze, you can't do weed, you can't yeah, do sex, you can't do gambling. Yeah, so, uh, if you could though, man, what an awesome sponsorship opportunity for UK athletes! Could you imagine if they were just doing Keeneland promotions? Not that Keeneland needs it; they sell out every weekend. But I I I do know when I was in college, and I would uh, my my last apartment was right across from the Red Mile. Um, I would frequently go over there, and I would always see Sam Bowie there. So I'm gonna guess <laughs> Sam. Had, I'm guessing Sam had a marker. Yeah, it's probably a good call. Sam Sam loved the horse. I mean, he actually loved the horse industry. I mean, he he actually rode a in a charity race there one time. He rode a sulky, which was pretty impressive for a seven one guy to cram into one of those things. I was just gonna say he's a a big boy to be getting on horses. For me, I'm going Chipotle 100. If I, I ate it an insane amount as it was in college, but if I could have actually afforded it more often. I would have eaten it every single meal without a doubt in college. So I would go that. I think your uh, food idea, I mean, clothes idea is a good one. I would have probably gone like champs. Okay. Just yeah. more nothing but like sweatpants and hoodies when I was in college. And uh, yeah, I don't know really where else. I didn't have like a good go-to drinking spot or anything like that. So Yeah, we, uh, ours was actually, we would go to Richmond a lot of times to drink on Thursdays. Other than that, you drank usually in your dorm. For yeah, the somebody's part. house or whatever. Yeah. That's that's a thing. I mean, especially going to NKU. It's like, you want the local Applebee's? <laughs> well. <laughs> that became my go-to spot before NKU games. Yeah, so. I was going to say, if, if, if they're going to cover the bill, then might as well take them up on it. Well, they also have, uh, even without an NIL deal, you can afford it in college because they have those giant PBR beers for like three bucks. Two bucks? bucks? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. All right, that's all I got. Good stuff. Appreciate it, especially on a, on a very slow week. Uh, we'll talk some Bengals schedule next week, I'm sure, and much, much more. The Bengals actually begin uh, practicing on the field next week, so we'll have that to talk about. These first couple of weeks are just weightlifting and, and getting back in the in the mode of things, so we'll get a chance to see the rookies this weekend 
and see the veterans and the rookies combined uh, next Tuesday to practice. So we'll get a chance to, to talk a little bit about that. And maybe the Reds offense will be coming around, Rick, or maybe we talk about a 7-29 team by that point. We'll see. All right. For Rick Broering, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Oprah edition, presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending.